You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog. And on the Riotcast Podcast Network, this is Dan Natterman. And with me, of course, Mr. Noam Dwarman, owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar, Periel Ashenbrand, our producer and also uh, on-air personality. That's just how things evolved. Again, that was not planned, but that's, that's, that's what it's come to. And we also have with us... Fred Siegel, historian, author of numerous books, his most recent, The Crisis of Liberalism, Prelude to Trump. It wouldn't be a nonfiction book without a subtitle. <laughs> Crisis of Liberalism, Prelude to Trump. He is here with us, and his son is joining us, uh, unplanned, but we're happy to have him. Jake, Jake Siegel is with us as well. Gentlemen, how do you do? Welcome, an anticlimactic night. Boy, what a night it was last night. We're recording on Wednesday, the 4th of November. So the election uh, has ended and they're still counting up the votes. How's everybody doing? Not well. Not well, okay. It's gonna go on for mo a month. And uh, Jake, uh, are you as, as, as glum as your father is? I mean, I, I think that any kind of definitive result would have been better than this whatever it is that we're in right now so i mean i'm trying not to think of it um as something that actually affects my life all that much so in that sense i feel okay about it well actually that that's that's a theme i want to come back to what you just said so so mrs siegel I've, I've been reading your stuff for a very long time um but you had a column not long before the election an ex-liberal reluctantly supports trump and yes. I think, and I think that you hit the nail on the head better than anything I've read about um, understanding the Trump, the much maligned Trump voter that the smart people look down their nose at. Um, what's your What's your take? How do you explain these rubes? I put it in quotes. Voting for this man that that smart people like my friend Perry Elge, they just can't understand. How anybody can 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 embrace this this horrible man? So, what's your take on it? Well, the the take is that, that liberalism is deeply offensive to much of the population, half the population, and the, this vote is a vote to, to prevent liberals from taking power. Um, it's it's well, let me let me be careful with the word liberal because there really are no liberals anymore. There used to be a lot of liberal. The, the woke uh, they don't. They, Half the population doesn't want the politically correct woke people to run the society. That's that's simple. I, I, I would say it's more than half the population doesn't want the woke, but some of them just couldn't bear to vote for Trump uh, because, you know, it, it is tough to vote for him. But well, I, I would, what? that's assuming, by the way, that the main reason that people who voted for Trump voted for Trump was to be was to vote against wokeness. I think some people just voted for him for tax reasons or for uh, reasons of abortion or uh, percentage pardon it's, it's you're right the, 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 but but far more important than that but in, in 2016 when, when you talk to people who voted for Trump they, they talk about political correctness they hated political correctness and it was a unifying theme uh, across the, uh, across the, 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 the Trump voters this time uh, Hostility to liberalism is the unifying theme. It's not that there are other issues, uh, but but it, it's or, or, or hostility to this iteration of liberalism, this wokeness, uh, and going at the, going at from the other side. Uh, I, I I talk about in, in this a book, Prelude to Liberalism, from Talos Press, which is located here in New York. Um, I t I talk about the fact that liberalism was created in order to create an, an American aristocracy. That the argument was that uh, th thinkers like H.G. Uh, Wells, Herbert Crowley, uh, uh, Sinclair Lewis, that uh, 
it was the absence in America of an aristocracy that made us inferior to, to Europe. Whether that was true or not, leave it aside. But all, all of these people pointed to the universities as the place from which the university, the aristocracy would emerge. And that's pretty much what's happened. The second thing that happened, and this, goes, this is also very much connected to New York, um, all of these figures had, had, had a life in New York. Uh, the New Republic was published here. The New Republic mag magazine, founded by Herbert Crowley, was published here for many years, and then they, then they moved to Washington. Um, under John Lindsay, I, I hope some of your listeners remember who John Lindsay is, uh, the former mayor of New York, the guy who in the 1960s lit up, lit up the political firmament. Uh, Lindsay uh, accidentally stumbled onto a winning formula. You want, if you won the top, the well-to-do well in the upper middle class, and the bottom, those people on, on uh, social assistance, you can win. And what, 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 what Lindsay uh, shared with the people at the top was a hostility to the middle class. That hostility to the middle class survives today. It, it was the center, it, it, it's what uh, defined uh, Barack Obama's coalition. And it, it defined this coalition However, however, it comes out uh, in, uh, last night. Hostility to the to, to the middle class, and uh, as as someone who thinks the middle class is pretty good, and and has very little faith in in in, in the American elites, uh, I find that I find that uh, appealing. But how can you have hostility to the middle class? You necessarily must have had a lot of middle class voters voting for uh, Biden, given the numbers. The, the people in the middle class who voted for, for Biden, the core, tended to be public service employees, public sector employees, and they drive the Democratic Party financially and in terms of organization. If you were to ask the question, who, who supports Bill de Blasio? You know, I, I, I talk to my neighbors. I like to sit on my porch and, and, and neighbors come by and, and, and we schmooze. Uh, they, they couldn't figure out who's, who supports this guy, de Blasio. No one likes him. Well, the answer is very, very simple. SEIU, Service Employees International Union, and, 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 and the healthcare workers who are part of that. They're the ones who, who drive municipal elections in New York. And that's why we have these fractional outcomes uh, where, where less than 20% of New Yorkers vote in, in a mayoral election. But it's okay because... De Blasio gets his gets his cut. Most people just don't show up. They don't bother. They checked out. So uh, let me say, so it's like in in the um, in the Wall Street Journal article you define political correctness. I, I thought very well and very simply as the inability to speak the truth about the obvious. And and boy did that hit the nail on the head to me because I mean you can get in big big trouble now for speaking the truth about the obvious, and I've never seen it. I mean, every, every, everybody I know says one thing in private and another thing when there might be people listening. Everybody I know. And uh, yeah, who, who, who doesn't understand that people have had it with this stuff, right? Uh, I, 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 think they, I think they have had it, but it's not, cl it's not clear how this is gonna, is gonna all play out. Um, it's hard, it's, because it's hard to, to uh, find a mechanism to constrain this lunacy. Uh, the elites are in charge. Uh, Twitter, you know, Twitter shut down, shut down the Joe Biden story. Yeah. No problem. Uh, not, traditional liberals would have, got, would have never allowed this. Uh, but you don't, you don't have those liberals anymore, or you have them in much diminished numbers. So, you want to say something, Dan? I well, I was going to say that my own personal story of, of yesterday was going into the voting booth as disgusted with wokeness and political correctness and all that as anybody else, but simply couldn't bring myself to vote for a man that I perceived as has, has, has traces of a madman in him. You know? <laughs> uh, and I just couldn't do it. What I did do is 
I voted for every Republican I could find, and there weren't many in New York because there were only a couple other people running, to try to offset it. Um, and, and probably in 2022, the likelihood is, is I will go in and I will vote against Mr. Schumer for the same reason. We'll see what happens with just how, how left a, a presidency Biden uh, has. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to offset not voting for Trump, but voting for other Republicans. I, I don't think that's all. Voting in New York is not of much consequence. The outcomes are, 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 are a foregone conclusion. Uh, the the, the mar margins are so used. This is a one-party state. California is a one-party state. This is not pretty. Uh, finance here, Silicon Valley there. Uh, anyway, uh, Periel, are, are you? I sure you disagree with some of what I said. Everything. How could you possibly <laughs> get that impression? <laughs> Your face. <laughs> Okay, so um, I, I too read the article in the Wall Street Journal and I consider myself to be a liberal. I, no, you, you say I'm that. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right, you right. say that I find this whole cancel culture to be absurd and ridiculous and awful. And I, also fancy myself, though no one would probably disagree, to be somewhat of an intellectual. Um, and I believe in debate and critical thinking and free speech and the exchange of ideas. And I think that, you know, all this Twitter mob stuff is ridiculous. Um, that yeah. having been said, um, I find almost everything about Donald Trump to be so insufferable. Um, and you think, I think- you, the, you think his tariffs on China are insufferable? I think more of how he behaves and how he talks to people and- What about how he acts? What about I, the consequences of what he's doing? Well, I, I've heard that argument before, and I understand that there are many people who are just straight policy voters. I, I can't be one of those people. And I didn't vote so much for Joe Biden as I voted against Donald Trump. Um, but, but you, you do know that the Biden family is criminal. That they, they, they've been, they've been involved, in sh involved in shakedowns around the globe. Yeah, I uh, yes, I do. I'm aware of that, and I'm aware of Kamala Harris's, you know, what, the Laura Bazelon article in the Times about fighting to keep innocent people in prison and uh, exonerated but, people. But at the yeah. end of the day, I was I'm given a I have to make a binary choice, right? Yes. And so, you know, I I can't bear to. What am I going to do? I actually happen to have voted in a state that it did make a difference in. I don't know. You know, my, my family is a family comprised of immigrants. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think Trump is disgusting. And I think, you know, a lot of this Israel stuff is bullshit. Why is breaking down the barriers of uh, uh, Arab hostility to Israel? Why is that BS? Because she hates Trump. No, it's not just that. that. that is, I don't, are, you, I, are you telling me that if Barack Obama was presiding over this, you would say this is bullshit? Be more self-aware than that. Come on. I'm uh, going to go with what Fred Kaplan said yesterday. I mean, I'm just going to defer to the experts. I'm not a foreign policy. Well, Fred, Fred's a bright man, but we don't always agree with Fred on this uh, show. Well, that's fair enough, but... Well, so, 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 so let me, let me ask... Uh, 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 Mr. Siegel, a question. Is Jake just uh, spectating or? or, or... Well, I'll, no, I'll no, ask both the Siegel. I was going to say, you know, it'd be interesting to see what uh, Fred Kaplan said in 2016, excuse me, uh, you know, 2012, 2014, about the possibilities of a Arab-Israeli peace deal being signed without Palestinian buy-in. Because the consensus, the total elite consensus at the time, well, to, you know, to be fair to Fred, explicitly by John Kerry was that it was impossible, that it would never happen. And, you know, I think foreign policy is where Trump has been strongest. I think the, uh, the attempt to downplay the significance of what he's achieved 
with the uh, the Abraham Accords is seems to me purely political. But I, I just wanted to point one thing out, which is that it's interesting to me that my father started off by saying that Trump support is driven by political correctness or opposition of political correctness. But then your challenge to Periel was, what about the tariffs? You know, and so. I actually think that the political correctness stuff is sometimes overstated and that it's what the political correctness allowed in policy terms, maybe, that was more significant in 2016, which was a kind of pro-American worker immigration restrictionism, uh, quasi-mercantilist trade policy towards China, et cetera, that won him a lot of support. And if he'd pushed harder on that stuff this time, if he'd made sure another stimulus, you know, if more Trump bucks went out, if he was more focused on the average American worker, um, I actually think he would have done better. Whether that's a good thing or not depends on who you want to win, but I think he would have performed better than he did. Praise. By the way, Jacob Siegel, you're no challenge your father here in front of America. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't, this is how we relate <laughs> to each other, right? That's how I know I'm my father's son. Is Wait, uh, I, so, so I want to ask, I want to ask Mr. Siegel a question about what you're talking about. So, I mean, well, two things. First of all, he's a boorish, vulgar guy. And I don't like that. I never liked that before he's president. But I, I have to admit that it really seems like nobody but a boorish and vulgar guy would have the nerve to just not give a shit about what they call him and all this political correctness stuff. Any other normal human would feel, the, would feel the urge to equivocate, to compromise, to give disclaimers before they say everything, to be shamed, and, and we would, the window would just move. I mean, he is a wrecking ball. He does not care. And, you know, that is the silver lining of that boorish, vulgar cloud. However, there is something about him, which I do worry about, and I wonder what Mr. Siegel says, which is that, you can call him my Fred. Fred, should we find ourselves in a situation where we really need a president who's up to the job, a, a, an important, uh, um, complicated situation on the world stage where you need somebody to shut up and think before he talks and, you know, a, a, like a Bush senior uh, Iraq war scenario or something worse. Let me add one other thing. And, and judging by all the top people in his administration who left with such a low opinion of the man and his ability to, 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 to rein himself in when he needs to. Am I wrong to worry that that's a dangerous situation to have him as president, if the worst should happen? It, I, I think it's a legitimate worry. Uh, on, on, the other, on the other hand, um, the, kind, the kind of issues that he's gotten caught up in, for instance, uh, Germany's unwillingness to con contribute a statutory requirement of funds for NATO. Uh, again, it, the, the same kind of boorishness allows him to tick off an Angela Merkel uh, and, and, uh, and, 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 and say nice things a, 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 about the, the Orban in, in, in Hungary. Well, uh, you know, the, the Hungarians right now are thinking about the Austrian uh, uh, massacre that just took place. And they're thinking, well, you know, what we're, what we're doing is not so bad. Uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we, we, we fended off an Islam, Islamic invasion in the 17th century. And we don't want to, we don't have to want to fend one off now. And, and what's happening in France, what's hap just happened in Austria, uh, this, is, this is not, a, it's not like the Europeans have, uh, are, are, for all the sophistication and pretensions, are doing a better job. And on COVID, my, my other son, Harry, who's not here, who writes for the Daily Beast, and editor of the Daily Beast, Harry would, would, would balk at this, but the Europeans haven't done any better on COVID than, than Trump has. I don't think Trump has done a good job. I'll make a case that the Europeans are even worse, in a sense, because we made our big blunders when, when nobody knew anything. And now, with, with the benefit of nine months of science and knowledge and experience, now they're having their spike. So in, in a certain sense, that's even a, a sign of more, I mean, you can say on the other side, it's just difficult to maintain that kind of discipline of, in a population for inevitably, and people are just, in the end, this is a, this is a, a, 
um, challenge of the discipline of populations. I think that's the one variable that shows where it's, um, which populations are doing well is that they just wear masks and they don't budge and they don't let it wear them down. That seems to be it, right? So the Europeans have just had enough, I guess. But I agree, like the, the case against Trump on COVID is a lot weaker when the absence of Trump doesn't seem to be benefiting anybody in Europe. So why would it benefit us here, right? Well, yeah. I mean- I, I, Well, you know, I think you agreed last night that, that perhaps a, a better president might have saved, there would have been less of a death toll. Yeah, I mean, when, when Trump was um, uh, uh, downplaying masks and tweeting out free Michigan at the same time he was supposedly behind lockdowns, this nobody, nobody's going to defend that, right? I mean, well, Craig, Craig won't defend that. I'm not going to defend that. Yeah. No, Craig is other people are. Oh. Well, some, I, I can't, I can't, you know, control what other people say. But here in New York, we have Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. And, and Andrew Cuomo is responsible for eleven thousand. Not, not all of the eleven thousand, but a, an enormous chunk of the, of the of the deaths nationally came from New York and New Jersey. And Pennsylvania, and of course, they follow similar policies. Um, it, that's that's not very it's not very promising for for uh, the future because Andrew Cuomo is going to be if if Trump comes out of this and wins, uh, Andrew Cuomo is, is going to be there with, fighting with Gavin Newsom for the Democratic nomination next time around. Now, how do you how do you rate? And there's one other question I want to ask you later. I don't want to forget, but how do you compare? Let me put it another way. The outcome of Biden as president with a Republican Senate, and yes, and still being able to pocket all the kind of reckoning that's going on as we speak about the woke and about uh, have progressives taken the country too far to the left. Is this a worse outcome in your uh, in your estimation than Trump winning? Uh, I, I, I I wouldn't put it that way. I'd put it this way. Uh, what states like New York and Illinois? and California. Uh, what they have in common is not just the Rosenberg sisters, my wife's sisters, each of them are in these states. Uh, and I, I like to think the Rosenberg <laughs> sisters are responsible for a lot of the world's problems. What they have in common, they all need bailouts. And it's going to be very hard to get a bailout uh, through this Senate. And so I, I, I think we're, we're on very uncertain ground going at it. Supposing Biden is president, uh, it's going to be very hard for him to enact uh, an agenda which supports the prolific spending and dysfunctional uh, administration of New York, Illinois, and California. All right. Um, so I wanted to ask you this. So I, I sent your column to an important intellectual. I don't want to say his name. And he said to me, I knew Fred Siegel 30 years ago, and he was never a liberal. Uh, how do you respond to that charge? Because I should say, because the headline of the, you probably didn't write the headline, but the headline is an ex-liberal, an ex-liberal reluctantly supports Trump. So were you a liberal? He's mistaken. He's mistaken. Go ahead. Why? Uh, I was in, uh, you know, the magazine Dissent? Yeah. Ir Irving Howe. I, I was an editor at Dissent for, uh, for many didn't, years. Didn't they merge with commentary and it became dysentery? Yes, that's a great line. That's a great line. <laughs> Woody Allen's best lines, if you're allowed to mention Woody Allen. Uh, yes, yes, you know, that's right. When did you leave the fold? When, when you became, now you were, you were close with Giuliani and one of his advisors, is that right, during the, the Giuliani yes. administration? I, I, huh? I, I, I wrote his quality. I wasn't the only one who wrote it, but I wrote the primary sections of his quality of life speech, which was central to his 1993 campaign. So at that point, was that still, did you still consider yourself a liberal at that point? I, I, would, I would consider myself a liberal in transition. In transition. Uh, I, was, I was becoming more conservative, but I didn't become fully conservative. I didn't vote for Republicans, for instance, outside of Giuliani, uh, until Obama came along and I, I, I you know, my one of my, as I was mentioning my wife's sisters, one of them lives in Chicago. Esther and, and uh, uh, Adele? I said Esther and Adele. I'm just making up names that go with Rose. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it's close. <laughs> close. No, no, it's Jeannie, Joni, and Jan. Oh. Um, the, 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 Joni, the sister in Chicago, uh, knew all, all sorts of people who, who, knew, who knew Obama, a, a former uh, tax attorney, 
a, a former dry cleaning a cleaning guy, uh, and and, and I, as I, I wrote a piece, the first was the first piece I ever wrote for National Review, the conservative publication, saying this guy is an empty suit. That there, there's no there there. He had no accomplishment. I try to look back to what he, what he, and, and the thing that, that clinched it for me is he was tight with Blagojevich, who's now just left the federal pen, who's gotten friendly with Trump, and Trump has has, has pardoned him. He went to jail for selling the Senate seat or something, right? When uh, yes, when, uh, yes, yeah. And he, he should have gone to jail for a lot more, but but that that that, that was what they got him on. Uh, so, but when he when I found out that that uh, Obama and Blagojevich were tight, I said, "Holy mackerel!" What are people buying into here? And, and the other thing I would talk to people about is what community, what community activists, what do they, what, what, what did Obama, not just Obama, but all of these community activists, tell me what they, what they ever, what neighborhood did they turn around? I'm, I'm waiting to hear about it. Okay, but to be, to be fair to Obama, in, in retrospect, uh, not so much about his policies, which are, you know, that, which are, you know, those are the policies of people who have that worldview. But the people close to him, like Bill, like Robert Gates, um, they seem to come out of uh, his administration with a high opinion of the man's uh, capabilities, right? They, he, he didn't, they don't see him as an empty suit having worked with him for four or eight years. No, but they don't have a lot positive to say about him either. They, they're, not, they're not terribly critical, uh, but they're, they're, not, they're not laudatory either. Right. So I wanted to make another observation to you. Um, about this wokeness and, and all that stuff. So we had PC culture for a while, but it never had an enforcement mechanism. So as a matter of fact, being like really anti-PC, you know, you could almost market yourself that way. And then something changed where, you know, where an enforcement me mechanism kicked in, where, where you, you could have real consequences to your life. And that changed everything. And I, and I noticed that this, that now is the first time prior to this, this cycle or prior to recent times, elections were mostly entertainment for me. No matter how I felt about who should win, I never really said, uh-oh, this is going to have real consequences to my life. Maybe they'll raise my taxes, lower my taxes. I never really cared. And this cycle, I found myself saying, you know what? The other party here stands for everything that can ruin me. But I mean really ruin me. I can say the wrong thing. And I can have uh, my club boycotted. I can have Louis C.K. perform on stage, and I don't know what's going to happen to me. Um, I, the, the, uh, th there can be a riot, and they can be burning down my building, and the mayor will tell the police to stand down. And if I complain about it, the people on the New York Times will say that it's only property, and you, can, you, know, you, you have insurance, these types of ridiculous concepts, and it's spreading through. And this, this is a fundamentally different reaction than I've ever had to just things I, I really thought were, you know, I should disagree with. And I don't think I'm unique that way. I think all through America, the fact that it went from PC to actually having teeth, that you can actually get punished is, I think that's a huge change. You, you agree with me, disagree with me? I, I very much agree with you, but uh, let, let me let Jake uh, say something about this. I, mean, I think that's the kind of, that's the million dollar question is, what is it that uh, prompted this metastasizing of what had been, you know, a cultural element that's been around for a while, anti-PC, the uh, kind of campus social justice activism, whatever you want to call it, how did that go from being a visible but somewhat marginal phenomenon to being the defining quasi-religious ethos of the Democratic Party. Let, let me let me just let me just say, Bill Maher marketed his old show as is called politically incorrect. Right. So you you could get mileage by saying, did you hear right. what he said? Right. That change. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah, I think that the the change. There are two things that uh, are the primary drivers of this massive change. The first is that the Democratic Party, which had been a party with a, a certain middle class, working class coalition for a, a variety of reasons that my father can speak to far more intelligently than I can, abandoned that coalition, moved towards the kind of Lindsay model he was describing earlier, which started in New York, which is this top bottom coalition, essentially outsourced much of the American industrial working class 
to China and, and adopted a financial economic model. And what that meant was you no longer had the middle class, like you were talking about a minute ago, like what's the constraint or somebody was talking about part of the constraint was you were accountable to the, this constituency. But as you can see by the feverish embrace of wokeness by corporations, they don't apply the same constraint because they don't have skin in the game in the same way. So they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. Like, no big deal. We're behind you all 100% and whatever you want. You know, if you want to riot, whatever. If you want to have an anarchist zone in Seattle where four people get shot, great. We support you. They don't have skin in the game. So that was the part of what changed was the composition of the political parties in America changed in a very fundamental way. And the Democrats' old ethos was abandoned. They, they adopted this new ethos that represented a kind of uh, a different sort of professional class and an elite class. And then the second thing is the internet. And the internet took that ethos and made it possible both to, you know, propagate it wildly uh, spread it to every corner, and also to organize these social enforcement mechanisms where anybody anywhere, I mean, what is the internet actually, right? In, like in economic terms, it works on a surveillance model, right? So the one part of the surveillance economy is uh, geared towards advertising, but the other part of the surveillance economy is that we're all surveilling each other. And so Anybody can dime anyone out at any time. And, uh, and so these two things together took political correctness, such as it was in you know, the early 90s, and transformed it into something that I think is... Um, Meta metastasized. Metastasized into something that has some similarities, but is fundamentally a different entity at this point. What do you what do you expect to see happen at the um, New York Times now that they've like they've gotten it terribly wrong twice? Even if Biden wins, they somebody made the comment that the National Review actually had three different editorials. Of, you know, one one hell no on Trump, one maybe on Trump, one hell yes on Trump, something like that. But the New York Times ran zero editorials that that uh supported trump so the, you know the the, the supposedly uh it will, it will have no times. go ahead it will have no effect on the new york times whatsoever okay. they have they're, they're secure in their upper middle class base the base of readers and they're, they're really not concerned whether they have credibility a broad credibility or not that the old days of the times being concerned about its intellectual credibility are gone it has none the 1619 project was utterly ludicrous. Yeah. The, 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 day, the day that came out, I, I talked to my sons. Uh, I, I, this, there's no reason you, you my, my, even my sons would know this. Once upon a time, I spent a, a semester in graduate school studying the labor systems of, of 17th century America. And the chief author, by the way, was a guy named Richard Morris, Dick Morris's uncle. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it was, it was clear that, 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 that African-American slavery didn't come right away. It didn't come until the end of the 17th century, when it was clear that, that white, white indentured servants wouldn't do because they, they could run off. They could join the rest of the population and disappear in, into the society. And that's, what, that's when, for obviously ugly reasons, uh, African-American slavery became more important. But the idea that 1619 is the point that this happened, that's insane. Well, it, it just it just it just reflects. I, I mean, I hope I'm not wrong about this, but I think it's they work backwards into 1619. There's just a free floating resentment slash hatred. I hate to say of the country, and they're just looking to put meat on those bones. But the but that that pre that pre exists. There's just so much I I can't account for it. I mean, I I can I can understand that we have one population, African Americans, who have every reason to be ambivalent about America and its history. Of course, they have reason for that. But it's metastasized, word of the night, to, you know, 40, 50% of the country that just seem to not understand 
Well, should I thought it's corny. The greatness of America. They don't. They don't get it. And, and can't we all be ambivalent about that history? No, we should be proud of our history. We're we're, we're better than all the. You you, can, you only in comparison to the rest of the world is the only the only fair comparison, in my opinion. I don't know what Fred says. I would agree with you. Yeah. I mean, Look, I, the fascinating thing about I have to go in a minute, so I just want to say this quickly. But the fascinating thing about this poll that. Uh, was reported in the New York Times about Latino voters in America who are obviously a very important story now because there's this big swing among Latino voters to Trump, not just in Miami, but in other parts of the country as well, which you know causes some problems for the narrative of Trump as the embodiment of uh, whiteness and white supremacy. It's a little bit harder to square that when he also gained among black men. I think actually I'm seeing that he gained among black women as well. So. Um, yeah, he doubled support among black women. Right. From five from, what is it? From like 3% to 6%, right? But, 5 to 10. 5 to 10. 5 to 10. Okay, so that's very significant, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the thing, the fascinating thing is these two Democratic pollsters uh, did this piece that Thomas Edsel wrote up in the Times where they're talking about they, they surveyed Latinos in America and they had these preconceptions going in that, you know, first of all, that they identify as Latinos and people of color. And they identified as neither. The major majority did not identify as people of color, and they didn't identify as Latino either, let alone Latinx. They identified as Hispanic Americans. And when you drill down even further, the really significant thing was not that they, you know, rejected one ridiculous label, Latinx, and wanted to be called Hispanic Americans. The significant thing was that they didn't want to think of themselves or to be campaigned to as permanent victims or on the basis of racial grievance. They're, they wanted to be campaigned to as Americans who had every opportunity to succeed in America. And, um, you know, that was the, the finding. Um, I, I think there are some good reporters at the New York Times, and I'm glad that that piece ran in the New York Times, but those sorts of kind of ground truths about what's going on in the country now are, are not, they, they're so challenging to the worldview of the dominant institutions that I agree with my father, they're not gonna find their way. And look, this is a repeat of 2016, but the, the unfortunate and tragic story of America over the past 20 years is that the people in charge never pay for their mistakes. And that's gonna keep going because it's a kind of Ponzi scheme. And the longer it goes on, the more everybody involved has to not not hold the guy next to them accountable and it it keeps going and it'll blow up at some point but not yet anyway thank you all very much um thank you. jacob see yeah. you every by the way speaking of hispanics have you seen that there's a thing there's a new thing bubbling up i saw a tweet by uh, nicole hannah jones of 1619 i can't find it this second but then i saw some other people kind of echoing it that they're deciding now his the, the label of latinx or whatever it is hispanic is uh is kind of racist in itself because she wrote, what do uh, like Venezuelans and indigenous Guatemalans and Cubans have in common? It's basically saying like, this is the white man's label on, on us and, and implying that um, not all, they're not to be treated like people of color necessarily. I mean, it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of interesting how the in intersectional community can turn on a dime against each other. And let me just add, at the same time, they uh -huh. think it, which I mean, and I, I can't speak on whether people who all speak Spanish want to all be classified as the same ethnic group, but it does seem weird to me that Pakistanis and Koreans are considered the same ethnic group for the purpose of polling, right? I don't get that at all. We use, we had a word Oriental, which you, which you can't use anymore. And, and the word had a precise meaning, descendants of China, right? And um, for whatever reason, they, it, it was deemed as offensive, but they replaced it with a word which had a completely different meaning, which is just, you know, Indians and Pakistanis and everybody on that continent. And they, and they, they have nothing in common, do they? No, no actually, they, they hate each other. Yeah. Uh, the ex so, 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 so I wanted to look up the polls of how Asians voted. And, I'm, and I want to know how the Chinese and the Koreans and the Japanese voted, because I'm curious because I, I suspect that no matter what they say, a, a, a party that stands for deducting points from their kids' SATs at birth 
is a party which they're not going to be comfortable in for long. I just feel like that's it. But I don't know, but Pakistanis are mixed in there. And obviously, they, they're people of color. And I, I don't know what they think. Yeah. I think you're right. Let, let me give you two reasons why you're right. One is California. The, the attempt, attempt to roll back uh, Ward Con Connolly's uh, uh, referendum on eliminating affirmative, affirmative action categories, uh, that was defeated. And it was defeated in large measure because Asian Americans were hostile to it. The second thing you need to know, you got, we all live in New York. I'm sitting here in Ditmas Park. Uh, there's an enormous movement of Asian Americans out of New York City to Great Neck, uh, to, to Eastern, uh, excuse me, Western Nassau County. Uh, and they're fleeing New York City schools. They're fleeing de Blasio and, the, and, and de Blasio's uh, uh, dysfunctional uh, schools chancellor, uh, Carranza. Uh, they, they understand what, what you're talking about. They're, they're afraid that a place like Stuyvesant doesn't have a future. Uh, and, and it's so, I mean, you, talk, you, you know, you say uh, you're not a liberal, but really you probably are just as liberal as you ever were. It's just the definition changed. I mean, the notion that they, they want a world where, I said this the other day, where uh, Asians will replace homosexuals as the one acceptable uh, group that can be discriminated against. <laughs> like they, they will, I mean, what, there's no outcome-based policy which doesn't treat Asians as Asians as opposed to Americans or humans. I mean, there's no, there's, you can't square those two. They, they outperform all of us. God bless them. That's, that's very good for America to have a population that, that does so well, right? Well, they, they study. Yeah. So why and, we, and we're going to penalize them for it. Because, because and let's not, let's, let's not, let's not um, pussyfoot. It's because they look different. I, I'm convinced that if it was Germans who were doing so much better than all other ethnic uh, European descent, nobody would have any policies uh, targeted to Germans. We probably wouldn't notice it, you know? I mean, it could well be that redheads do well. We wouldn't notice because nobody's ever studied it. Yeah, um, I'm saying like it, when, when admissions officers are saying that the Asians don't score, score well on personality and stuff like that, no. this is terrible stuff. This it is, is and you, if, if, that, if that makes you a conservative, to, to be offended by that stuff, then the definitions are just flipped. It's embarrassing. Yeah. To the extent that um, wokeness over the past four years, which it seemed to me has gotten more intense, maybe it hasn't, but to the extent that wokeness was at least in part a reaction against Trump, uh, might it calm down in a Biden administration? Might we, might we see less of it, uh, less, less, uh, less uh, anger and less um, wokeness? Uh, it's certainly a hypothesis. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. My, my sense is, th though, is that uh, a lot of people have tasted the fruits of their anger. And, and, and I don't think they're going to back off from it. Yeah, yeah, there's blood in the water. Cor corporate America needs, to, I think, it really, and maybe they will. There was like Trader Joe's kind of showed signs of a, of a backbone with the Trader Jose. But corporate America just needs to call these bluffs because they are bluffs. And you could probably fill a small auditorium with the number of people it takes, far less than that, to make people think it's actually a, a nationwide movement, you know? This is what Twitter amplifies. We found this, I don't know if you follow us in the Comedy Cellar, uh, I don't mean, to, I know you wanna say something, but we, we had this big controversy when Louis C.K. Came, came back. And if you looked in the papers or looked on Twitter, you would think we must be, we must have tumbleweeds down the aisles because of all the hate we were getting. But the fact is, if you didn't know what was going on, you would have seen absolutely zero impact, zero impact to day-to-day -day business. So it's quite an illusion out there. So go ahead, you were about to say something. Uh, my, my, Jake's wife's, my, da my daughter-in-law's brother is a huge fan of the comedy club ah. uh, and, and comedy seller and, and follows you guys uh, religiously. Well, you gotta, you gotta put them in touch. Perry, all arranges. We, well, if, if and when we open again, we'll have them down as VIPs. I, I, have, um, I have a couple of questions. First of all, corporate America could give a shit about any of this stuff, right? I mean, this is all just 
<laughs> for the bottom line, they're just um, like they're, they intimidated. they're intimidated and, and they don't want anything, anything to, to sully their brand. Right. So they're just pandering. They don't actually care about any of these well, things. Look, corporations are made of human beings that make decisions, and every human being has their own motivations. My guess would be most of them are just looking at the bottom line. Right. But, but the problem is they, every time they, they submit, they put blood in the water, and, and there's no limiting principle. And you know, at some no, point... That's, that's important. There's yeah. no limiting principle. Yeah. But don't we see right through this bullshit? Who's we? <laughs> Well, like a, a, a lot of people question. do. That's why they, that's why people are stuck. It's that's why it was really hard for a lot of people to vote against Trump because people feel like they're voting for that world that they just hate and feel threatened by. I, know, I, I will say I never felt I saw the word the, the in particular I saw the name Kamala Harris coming looking up at me from that <sighs> ballot seat, and I must say I've never been less happy to vote for anybody in my life. And this is including all elections, be it high school, uh, student <laughs> council, or any mayoral, whatever. Uh, I was saddened to, to fill in that oval. Um, I have Fred, go ahead. Uh, but in I California, felt the lesser, the lesser in California I right. She ran fourth in her home state. Yeah. She's, she's very unappealing. And she added nothing to the Biden ticket. And, and we're, we're gonna watch a Shakespearean drama. As, as Jill Biden and Kamala Harris uh, f fight for the control over over this doddering man's legacy. Yeah. He's referring to King Lear, by the way, if uh, for our listeners that may not be averse to Shakespeare. That's um, over my head. She, I'm sure Perry all knew about it because she's a, she's an intellectual. Think, you're referring said, to King but, Lear, or, you know. Um, Marielle happens to have a master's degree in writing. So oh, master's, master's. Okay, I got, I got one last question. Wait, wait, no, excuse me, I actually did catch that King Lear reference, but thank I'm sure you. I didn't. I, 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 I well, Lear was a king, an old king, right? And his daughters were all scrambling to, to get the piece of his legacy. I, so I while you guys were studying old white men, I was, uh, I was, anyway. Uh, but here's my question. Your friend, your, I shouldn't, that sounded snarky, I didn't mean it. Rudy Giuliani. Yes. He doesn't seem to be the same guy that he was when he was a hero of mine in New York City. I mean, now I'm gonna, if you don't wanna even talk about him, you guys are friends, I, I'm fine. I'm not looking to put you on the spot. I haven't talked to Rudy in five years. Right. But it, does, does there something about the way he's, he's handling himself these days, which seems well, different? There's a, on, on, the, on the negative side, there's no doubt that when Rudy Giuliani is not with a woman, not in a stable relationship, he suffers, and that, that's, that's been true of his whole life. Uh, it's, it's, it's also true that most of what he said about the Ukraine was all true. Yeah. It, it, it's, all, it's also true that most of what he said about the Bidens has proven to be entirely true. So, yeah, Rudy, Rudy's lost, a you know, he's lost a, you know, some speed off his fastball, but he's still a formidable character. And I, I, you know, I, 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 I treat him respectfully. Did the, uh, the, the, the locked arm suppression or attempt to suppress that Hunter Biden story, you think it, it lost them votes or I, I think it backfired on them because everybody knew about it. Well, who's the, but, but, but who's the everybody? I, I, I you know, everyone, <laughs> everyone who listened to talk radio, uh, everyone who read the New York Post, but that's it. Well, I'll define it. I, I, I suspect that people who, felt their minds were not made up for sure about voting and were kind of looking around to see, you know, to, they were more likely to have heard about this. They watch Fox, independents watch Fox. They'll, they'll sample Fox and CNN. But, but you, gotta be, you gotta be careful with this. Fox, there are a lot of never, never Trumpers on Fox. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's not so clear. If they, if they watch the, the late night shows, they, Tucker Carlson, for instance. Yeah, that, that's one, one perspective on the world. But uh, Chris Wallace uh, could could easily be on CNN without any change with any change of perspective. Well, what right. so so here we are. We have a Trump, uh, rather a Biden presidency is likely. Where do we go from here in terms of those of us who think the way we think in terms of our aversion, hostility toward wokeness, and uh, what what do we do now? Where do we go? Oh. From 
it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very rough stretch. I hope what Biden is going to do, and this, some of this will depend on Jill Biden. I hope what, what, what it'll do is proceed cautiously, recognizing that he's won a razor-thin victory, that he's lost seats in the House, lost, lost a, a, a number of Senate races that his party was supposed to win, that he'll proceed cautiously. Um, but, I, but I don't know that that'll happen. I'm, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to Biden in a decade, you now more than a decade, 20 years. Personally, I'm happy with this outcome. I think Trump is risky for the reasons that I said earlier, number one. Number two, if he's the cure, to use his analogy, there is something inside me that says he's worse than the disease. I mean, the, the, the emotional wear and tear on the country uh, from this guy, and that's who knows how he'd be, you know, not having to run for re-election, is a real something, is truly something on the other side of the ledger. And if we can have a Biden who's hemmed in by a, by a Republican Senate and a, a Democratic Party, which is a little bit uh, chastened by the rejection of uh, progressivism, that might be best for America. I, I don't, doesn't sound like a terrible outcome to me. Go ahead, Tony. Uh, I, I think that's a, a plausible, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that's plausible. On the other hand, I'm not, I'm not so sure it's gonna hold. Yeah. My hope that Biden is gonna proceed cautiously, uh, that depends on his wife, depends on Kamala Harris, uh, depends on his advisors among the, among the uh, Obamaites. Yeah. I, I don't know where this goes. No, nobody, nobody knows where this goes. We're, we're in un, completely uncharted territory. Yeah. And he, he can do enormous, for instance, let's suppose, you know, Biden has been very cozy with the Chinese, taking a lot of money from them. Hunter has taken a lot of money from them. Suppose, suppose this resumes, not, not uh, overtly with Sub Rosa. Uh, what then? I mean, we, we're, a lot, a lot can, can really go wrong uh, in, in this situation. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a step further than I would go. I, I have the, I always did have a certain faith that the presidents are, are patriots first. I never, I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I don't put it past Biden to allow his son to get rich, but I don't see him making a decision that wasn't in the best interest of America. I know that bias can play on people and they, they don't even realize they're doing it. But, 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 yeah. but no, yeah. Biden had no, no, no trouble exporting American jobs for many years until he was called on. Uh, that, that's, that's the reality. Uh, Not Trump. But that was following a, an economic principle that all the experts said is supposed to be true, that free trade is good yes. for everybody. Yes. He wasn't, wasn't a, a patriot. Yes, but there was a certain point after after about 2007 when it became clear that this wasn't true yeah the tech that the textbooks were wrong yeah go ahead Perry. i'm gonna wrap it up good so um, all this having been said and again i know that um you didn't write the subtitle to the piece but why yeah. reluctantly supporting trump then well, number of the reasons that the reason noah laid out i mean he's he's a strange character I mean, if he wasn't so strange, he would have he would have collapsed under five years of relentless pressure and and hoaxes. I mean, the Russia hoax w went on for four years. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. What do you mean a strange? I mean, strange in. In, 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 in being Im immune to ordinary ordinary uh, uh, ordinary stimulus. He, he, <laughs> you know, he, he he's a strange guy. He's yeah. you know. I, I, I met him. I met him a, a couple of only a couple of times, and I, I was, you know, inclined to be positive toward him because does that, everyone remember the the Waldman rink, rink situation? Yeah, yeah, sure. He, we couldn't, we couldn't fit. The city couldn't build Waldman Rink. He came and it went on for years and years. He came in and built it in six months. Trump has his virtues. Uh, it, it, the important thing is, is if, if he's if if he's like, and I, I don't. By the way, I, I don't know that he won't come out on top in this in this contest. This is going to be a brutal legal fight, which which will likely end up in the Supreme Court. Oh uh, God! I, I I can I can tell you. Or I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Finish if you want to finish the thought. Uh, oh, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. no. I say that that I I wonder. I have a little bit of. Um, analogous experience with people who have become very famous that I knew, but I wonder if after a certain number of years of being Donald Trump, 
it didn't rot his soul in a certain way. And he may be just not the same Donald Trump who, who did the Wallman rink. When you have everybody just kissing your ass for years and years and years, and you have money and fame, it, it's probably not good for you, you know? It might not be. On the other hand, Melania is definitely good for him. Uh, <laughs> She'd be good for Rudy. <laughs> Do you think their relationship is, people say that she's just there to be, she's, that they hate each other, that, I, mean, I don't know if you have any No opinion. evidence for this. The, 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 the rumors about Trump are, are endless. The Ukrainian business, impeaching him over a, over, over a, a bland phone call, yeah. that, that was insane. Well, uh, imagine if at that time we had known, presuming it's real, I believe it's real, that there was an email which described a meeting between Joe Biden and somebody from Burisma. Go, go try to impeach him then. Okay. But but the FBI and the, 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 this is this is what's dangerous. The FBI is a thoroughly corrupt organization, and they had that information and they didn't pass it on. They 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 they, they kept it to themselves. Well, it's, it, it, they had the laptop, I think, but it's not clear that they actually had gotten no, no, into the content. They, they had the information within the laptop. Yeah, they might not they, have. They, they didn't. What they wanted, they wanted to use this information against the, whoever the next president was. All right, that's your, your uh, okay. So listen, unless you guys want to, it, we're, we're at time. Do you guys have anything else you want to ask? Uh, would you say that, Noam, you mentioned that uh, the constant um, mental toll of a Trump administration, I kind of enjoyed a lot of it. I had <laughs> controversy, the constant, there was always something interesting, and be it a scandal, be it something he tweeted or something he said, yes, it could be anxiety provoking, but sometimes anxiety, you get addicted to it. Sometimes you get addicted to that heightened state of emotion. And it, and, and it, it I think there's going to be a, you know, it's kind of like when the OJ trial ended, you know, and people were like, and Rick Crone wrote that song about, I need my OJ, I'm going, man. <laughs> you know, I think there's going to be that, people are like, ah, they're going to feel a little lost. I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's right. You know, without all that. Well, all right. Um, I, I mean, you know, I know, I know people who don't see their children anymore, who they, you know, can't have Thanksgiving dinner with their friends anymore. Apparently, I've never had this problem, but a lot of people, they can't separate. Like, they just can't disagree with somebody and then put it aside and just be, you know, and have a nice time with them. They can't do it. Well, I, I said to a friend of mine, I, I don't hate Trump, and he said, well, that's a problem. <laughs> Go ahead, Trent. I, I haven't lost any friends. I, I still talk to the same people I talk. I don't. I don't always talk to them about the same subjects. But yeah. but, but I haven't. You know, that's if, if people aren't going to talk to you because you 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 disagree with them politically. What what's the point? Well, this is very inside. But I'm sorry. Do you know Do you know Norman Podhoretz? Not well. Not well. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, it's not just difference politically. Like you can disagree with somebody politically and maybe still, you know, certainly be friends with them. But I mean, I think that Trump is, is so divisive that- Look, look I think there's, there's ideological lines that all of us would be hard pressed to cross in terms of friendship. If somebody said, I believe, I think that, that they should uh, send the Afri African-Americans back to Africa, and that was part of a politician's platform, I might have a hard time being friends with somebody. I would have a hard time being friends with somebody that that was on board with that. But I think, I don't think we're at, I don't think yeah. Trump is, a, is quite there. And I think if it's a good faith uh, disagreement that somebody in good faith believes that Trump is best for all Americans of all colors and religions, even if you disagree with them, that person, then, you know, it's not, it's not right to, to uh, end a friendship. Well, for example, like, do small children belong in cages? Uh, and that, those cages were, were, were occupied during the Obama administration. I don't know if you're aware of that. I am aware of that. Not quite as enthusiastic. So, so let's, let's, let's be fair. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think is true. But if, I, if, I'm, if I'm misspeaking, of course, someone will correct me. But I, I think that we know that Jeff Sessions actually want, he, he thought this would kind of would be a good deterrent. We put a few of them in cages and maybe they'll, they will learn their lesson and stay out, um, which is very harsh. You know, it's... it's uh, he, I, I, I'm not going to defend Jeff, Jeff Sessions in, in any any manner. He's, he he was a dim a dim bulb. <laughs> but I, I will say about the, the the children in cages that were they cages or were they were they, uh, they were, I mean, cages? Yeah, you're right. They were whatever. They were cells or whatever. 
But um, put them up at the Ritz Carlton, but that might be a little pricey. You know, they, 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 the problem is that people who, are, who wanted to complain about it, they were right to complain about it. But what they didn't have the nerve to do is then offer their policy because if you listen, they would say, well, we don't want them in cages. Okay, what would you do? You want to just let have an open border? And then at that point, they, they got nothing. So the responsible say, listen, no more kids in cages, but this is how we're going to control the border so we don't have to deal with that issue. They never take that extra step. That, but the extra step has been taken for them. The wall, most of the wall has been constructed. And I, I don't think the border, I mean, there are going to be border problems. There's no, no way of avoiding that. But I don't think they're going to be as severe as they were. Is, 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 so, is that Biden going to tear down the wall that's been constructed? I, I don't think so. But, but let's just be very clear in case it was ambiguous. The kids in cages is absolutely, I mean, I'm, nobody loves, I mean, you know how much I love my kids. The kids in cages is just it was horrifying. And, and when you, and when you, when you known, which I don't think Jeff Sessions has, when you've known immigrants, illegal immigrants who've come here and you know, you know, the motivations that they had for coming here. And if you can put your heart and in, in, in walk in their, in their shoes, it's just, it's sadistic and it's, and it's just horrible. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the ACLU, you know, fought to make it impossible to keep these children with their parents as they're being incarcerated, which is, also, what did they think was going to happen when you get the judge to say you can't keep the parents? I mean, why can't they keep the parents in, in, with, their, with their kids? I mean, the whole thing is so criminal and so awful. I mean, I don't even, you know, I don't know how these people sleep at night. I really genuinely don't. Yeah. Well, it's... But the, but the, but the ACLU, stay with us for a second. The ACLU was once a great organization. It's a shadow of his former self. Aren't and, we all? And, and, <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because the, what we're facing within the country is a kind of institutional breakdown. It's, it's not like we can trust the IRS. It's not like we can trust the FBI. It's not like we can trust the CIA. Uh, we're, we're, in a, we're in a bad place, no matter who's president. The, the institutional rot is, is severe. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, that's why I hope Biden just proceeds, if, if he does become president, that he just proceeds cautiously. Yeah, I think, I think I he will. Agree with, I can agree with that. All right. It's been, I've, I've read you for many, many years, and it's been my great honor to, to speak to you in person. And I, and I do hope I'll see you at the Comedy Cellar with your family uh, when, when it reopens. Well, uh, thank, thank you. No. And, I, and Jonathan, uh, uh, Jeff's uh, brother-in-law, uh, Jeff's, Jake, I don't know my son's name. Jake's brother-in-law uh, is, is a, was a regular when, when the Comedy Central Center was, uh, was Comedy Cellar was open. And so I, I suspect he'll be coming back. That'd be great. All right. And, and wait, wait, wait. Where can we find your new book? Uh, you know, it, it's from Telos Press and, and it's on Amazon. The, the, the hated Amazon, the one we couldn't have Amazon in Queens, right? With the, uh, oh, you know, it's your book. You say the, fu the future used to happen here. Was that was, was something like that? What was the name no, of it? No, that's book? an earlier book. The future, that, that, was a, that was a line from Mario Cuomo, the future once happened here. Future, so that's when, when AOC chased Amazon out of Queens, I said, the, I remember saying the future will happen very, be very happy to happen somewhere else. Yes. I mean, what, what was she yes. thinking? Uh, anyway. But, but, but just, just, just one thing, see, since you mentioned that. The planning for that, for that Amazon move was so uh, haphazard, so slipshod, that uh, you, you, can you imagine coming over, coming over the, my God, um, my brain is, 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 is the 50, 59th Street Bridge or something? Thank you. Yeah. Coming over the 59th Street Bridge in, into, toward, toward Queens Plaza and having, having that, you're, it's already, it's already a, a permanent traffic jam. Yeah. There was no planning for this. There was no thought behind this. They just, you know, they wanted the jobs. They wanted the, they wanted the, 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 the uh, Amazon wanted the subsidies. And that, that was it. No, no thought was given to this. It was terrible. It was terrible. I, you know, this is a terrible thing to say because he, 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 he dis dispossessed my, my grandparents on one side. Uh, Robert Moses would have thought about this. Would, would have thought about, you know, how you do, how do you do this? Well, what transportation improvements have to have to be part of this? 
there's not, there was none of that. This, this, between, between, between our dim-witted governor and our dim-witted mayor, uh, we're in a very bad place. Are we getting, are we getting on average less capable people? Like one of the, one of the, if you want to be like a center left person, one of the assumptions buried in that is that there are really talented out people out there who can be put in charge of things and they will do things well, like a Robert Moses, whatever his, his um, immoralities were. He was capable of implementing his vision on something and it was thought through and it, it stood the test of time. Which we seem like we're led by empty suits now. Is that is that always been the case? No, but I think I think it's I think it's been true uh, for the last twenty. I mean, Bloomberg because he he, he engaged in an unleveraged buyout of the of New York's political culture. Uh, Bloomberg was treated with deference he didn't deserve. He was he was an incompetent mayor. Wow. And uh, he uh, he did a great deal of damage. And then Bloomberg followed by De Blasio. Good grief. And at least, at least Bloomberg had Ray Kelly, and Ray Kelly did you know did too much for stop and frisk. It was it was it was too much, and I, I wrote about this at the time it, 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 that it they had to back off. But what we have now, yeah. first we had Bratton, and then and, and then we've had what's happened to the NYPD? They're, they're, mostly they're told to back down. Yeah. Well, we had an incident uh, over the summer at the cellar. They did a great job. Somebody smashed uh, Angelica's phone, the waitress. <laughs> yeah. And uh, did you hear about that incident? No. Yeah. no what happened? No, he was. The cops came and the guy ran over the, He ran away and they caught him. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but it was all interesting right. to see. I mean, it was this low level kind of a thing, but utterly fascinating to watch police work, even at, even at the lowest level. Uh, you know, let alone something really crazy, you know. The, the police problem is a tough one because they deserve a lot of criticism and they also deserve a lot of support. And those are the toughest, uh, you know, things to deal with. Yeah, 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 my goodness. All right. So anyway, that's it. Fred okay. Siegel, thank you very, Siegel. very much for joining us. We we'll look forward to reading you in the future. I hope you had a good time. I hope you had a good time. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Podcast at ComedyCellar.com for questions, comments, and suggestions. We'll see you next time. And have a table on Instagram and write to us. Okay. Bye-bye.